Why didn't I listen? Why, why, why? It was almost as if he could see pieces of his fortune chained to every bit of cargo thrown overboard, pulled hopelessly ever deeper into the murky sea. Oh, the years he had worked to build this wealth. But what was he to do? If he tried to keep it, this infernal wind would certainly capsize the ship. What good would the wealth do him if he was decomposing with the cargo in the cold depths? Besides, maybe this way he could keep the ship and rebuild his wealth once again. Yeah, that scholar had guessed right about losing the cargo, but that didn't mean he was correct about the ship as well. Or certainly, he fervently hoped, about their lives. They'd been so close to making it to that wonderful harbor. He knew he was taking a chance, but his captain agreed with him as well. The military guy in charge was also pressing to continue so. When the wind breathed so perfectly towards their goal, it seemed obvious they should continue. Everyone agreed. Everyone except that dratted philosopher. Why did he have to be right? Another day in the Northeaster was raging, if it were possible, even more furiously. He had to acquiesce to the sailors' demand to lighten the ship even further. All the expensive tackle that he was so proud to own allotted to the deep. He might be forced to take on a partner and split the profits just to get started again. Another day, and another, and yet another. He was losing track. There was no point in eating the erratic oscillations of the ship made it almost impossible to keep anything down and with cooking out of the question. There was not much that tasted good either. The days were dark without the slightest clue as to the location of the sun. The nights were black, permeated with that terrible cacophony that accompanies such a violent, tearing wind. No one had the slightest idea where they were. At first, they thought they might make it through. But now, everyone had given up hope. It wasn't if they would die, it was when. Everyone except that crazy religious nutcase. He's seen a vision. Now he's saying nobody is going to die, but the ship will be lost. Well, how's that supposed to work? If they lose the ship, how will they keep from drowning? And then he says they'll run aground on an island. Well, if they run aground and they're able to just walk off, then they won't lose the ship. Sure, it'll need some work, maybe a lot, but it will be in one piece. Nobody but his friends paid any more attention to him this time than the last. Well, except maybe the military boss. More days passed. It had been two weeks and there had been little sleep and less food. In the middle of the night, the sailors had that inexplicable, but almost always accurate feeling that they were nearing land. What combination of sounds and motion it was that made them think this he could never tell. But sure enough... When they took soundings, the waters were indeed somewhat shallow and coming up. Since no one had the slightest clue to where they were, and certainly nothing could be seen, that also meant the aspect of the shore could not be known. Something in the sound, the wind, or the waves made the sailors sure there were rocks ahead. They were more likely right than not, so he agreed to let them drop four anchors to at least slow them down. It would have been a less violent ride if they had pointed the ship into the wind and waves, but they wanted to put them on the stern so they wouldn't have to turn the ship once daylight came. Daylight. 
They all prayed to whatever gods there are that it comes soon. It must have been close to dawn when the preacher urged them once again, Eat! Eat! They were all weak with hunger, it was true, and certainly this day would bring an end to this peril. They could all hear the waves smashing into some distant shoreline now. The prophet's thanks to his God was so matter-of-fact and so obviously sincere, and he was so calm as he assured them that not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. Maybe it really was true. They ate with him and then dumped even the last of their food stores overboard. In just a few hours, there would be no need of them anymore, and every ounce could mean the difference between safety and calamity. Slowly, excruciatingly slowly, the light grew. Even through the rain, they could make out the form of the land. No one recognized it. But as the light grew a little more, they spied a bay with a beach of sand. This was perfect. They could allow the winds to drive the ship up onto the sand and save both it and themselves. So excited was he at this newfound hope that he told them to leave the anchors in the sea, just get us on shore. They set the rudders in place and hoisted the foresail. As it caught the wind, the ship surged forward. The waves that had been battering them were now pushing them forward. As they gained speed, the wind no longer whipped them as they were now moving with it. There was that exhilarating motion with the waves tilting the ship forward as they pushed it up, and then the slowing and rocking back as they coasted down the back. But soon the ship reached the speed of the waves, and now they were riding the crest of a monstrous breaker. With the angle of the ship, they could see the waves spread out before them and the land racing ever closer. In just a few moments, they would be safely on the beach. He took a few steps forward and balanced himself one hand against the mast. They were going to make it. He laughed out loud for the pure joy of it. They reached the mouth of the bay and boom, the ship slammed into some hidden reef. He was thrown forward and smashed into the first obstacle. People and objects were flying through the air as they kept moving towards the shore on a ship that was not moving. He had felt the mass bend and then, as he was flying through the air, heard the tremendous crack as it snapped in two. He watched as it crashed into the bow before plunging into the sea. The foresail and its supports were flying through the air in advance of the mast. The wave that was pushing them had washed over him almost unnoticed. The next one shook the entire vessel as it slammed full force into their stern. Steadying himself, he stood to his feet and turned and looked back just in time to see pieces of his ship splinter into fragments with the onslaught of those merciless breakers. Again and again they struck. So near, so near. They should have been safely on shore now, but instead... All was chaos. Everything was lost. His life was in ruins. <laughs> Has your life ever felt like that? <laughs> Maybe storms batter you now. As Luke prepares to bring his history of the beginning and growth of the church to a close, he gives a rather long narration of Paul's cruise to Rome. Well, cruise may bring up images that are not quite accurate. The ship did carry nearly 300 people and many were passengers, but this was primarily a cargo ship, probably carrying grain in containers in the hold. So not some dirty ship, uh, but not the lap of luxury either. Still, although he was a prisoner, it was not like he was chained in the bowels of the ship, as Luke makes quite clear. The next day we put in at Sidon and Julius, the centurion, 
treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Sometimes people you expect trouble from instead show kindness. You know, who knew? So that makes this kind of like a cruise. Uh, It's certainly not a prison ship. And there are a lot of very specific details. Why? Why did Luke record this event in such detail at this point in his narration? There's no teaching, really. There's only a little mention of God in the work he's doing through Paul. There's almost nothing spiritual here. What gives? Well, I think it's a metaphor. An extended word picture of life of the growth of the church, of how one becomes a believer, how one lives as a believer, a metaphor of life. So when I asked, has your life ever felt like this? I think that's exactly what Luke wanted us to ask. That's how the Holy Spirit was guiding Luke. So let's join Paul and Luke on a cruise to Rome and see what we can learn. And putting out to sea from there, We sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. It's just the truth. We're swimming upstream here. (laughs) Most of the winds of the world blow against a righteous life. Uh, There's a lot more immorality and lying and greed than there is morality and truth and generosity in this tired old world. That's why Luke wrote of their trip, We sailed slowly. For a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed in the lee of Crete off Salmon, coasting along it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens, near which is the city of Lacey. Sometimes it's hard sailing. (laughs) Sometimes you can't even do what you want to do and you have to plan another route. And there's no guarantee that this plan will be easy either. We can call it fair havens all we want, (laughs) but it's not really fair until we get to the new life. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. God may let other people decide what you get to do. (laughs) And it may mean you have to entirely change your plans. Does any of this sound suspiciously familiar to any of you? (laughs) Yeah. However, we've got some experience, and sometimes we do know what we're talking about. Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. A lot of times we look at Paul and we see God working the miraculous through him. This time... It's just plain old common sense. (laughs) It's perfectly all right for us to tell people when they're trying to make a really dumb mistake. You know, hey, this voyage is a bad idea. We could lose the cargo, the ship, even our lives. That's what he's saying. Think they'll listen to us? But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. (laughs) The pilot. Well, we know enough about ships to recognize that this is the expert. But he's getting paid to get the ship through. And the owner, he's trying to make a buck and really doesn't have a clear mind on this either. 
So the centurion plays the numbers game. You know, they'll, they'll do that to us. They're real sure that they can figure it out on their own. And often they think we're just religious nuts who couldn't possibly know anything. And if we say, the Bible says, uh, they roll their eyes, yeah, but the experts say. And they find all sorts of data to bolster their opinions. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. The gentle wind. Ah, it feels so right to do. I know the Bible says, but how could anything that feels so good possibly be bad? (laughs) Do you ever want to say, hi, are you really that (laughs) dim-winded? You know what? You thought Satan was going to make it look terrible? Of course not. You ever see an ugly coffin? Really? They all look, but you wouldn't want to put one in your living room. I don't care how nice a piece of furniture is. Well, what happens when they let these soft winds carry them along? But soon, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. It never fails. To borrow a Western Washington phrase, sure as rain. <laughs> and then, listen to this, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. We. Ever been caught up in someone else's stupidity? Please don't raise your hand. <clears throat> that other person might be here. Uh, your spouse has this great idea and kind of forgets to run it by you. Your kids talk you into co-signing with them. <laughs> that was smart, weren't it? Your friend or your partner, or your boss, or your elected officials. As a mature believer, sometimes we just have to ride out the storm. Even if they ignored our warnings. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. You do what you can do. Save what can be saved and protect what can be protected. Man's attempt to live life is sometimes so pitiful. (laughs) If only they'd listened to God, we wouldn't get caught up in their disasters. For sure, let's not get caught up in their fears. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. They are taking precautions to avoid a problem that is 400 miles away. No kidding. The Sirtis is an infamous area of reefs and sandbars off the North African coast. You've seen the same kind of thing before. Oh, Lord, I lost my job. How am I ever going to afford my own funeral? (laughs) Oh, come on. (laughs) Don't worry about those problems that are an ocean away. The sun will rise tomorrow. I guarantee you that this very world will spin for at least another thousand years. We are still breathing and we're not going to starve in one day. So let's worry about the things right here. Do something about the things you can handle. And it might mean losing some things. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. 
And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Dave Ramsey talks to people desperately behind in their payments who really want out. He tells them, have a garage sale. Sell so much stuff that the kids think they're next. (laughs) Yeah, when life is tough, you might have to dump a lot of things in your life. Maybe some people as well. Some friends aren't really good for us. There was a guy I knew, he ruined his own marriage. So now he tried to get all his married friends to hang with him (laughs) instead of with their wives. I once saw the title of a book, I haven't actually read it, it was called Emotional Vampires. (laughs) If you're in a relationship with one of these people, it's time to jettison some cargo. You know what I mean? Maybe it's a business, maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's something perfectly all right, legitimate cargo. But at this time in your life, you need to lighten the load so that you can make it through. Because this could go on for a while. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. At last abandoned? As Christians, we understand that all we are and all we do cannot possibly save us from who we are. (laughs) Only when we completely abandon all hope and give ourselves up to God's grace, can we be saved. But for an unbeliever, this is a difficult concept. So when they really have given up all hope, then they might finally be ready to listen. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me, and not have set sail from Crete, and incurred this injury and loss. It's okay to remind them that we've been warning them all along. (laughs) We do know what we're talking about. Maybe we say, so how's this running your own life, your own way thing going? (laughs) But let's also encourage them. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Nobody has to die here. Everybody can have eternal life. Everybody can have eternal life. And if these folks we're talking to are believers, what a great reminder. Jesus has saved us. He won't lose you. You are safe in his arms. Yes, all you, all we have in this world will be left behind, all of it. But if you're in the ship with Jesus, you will make it. (laughs) For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have told you. But we must run aground on some island. We've got the scriptures to speak to us like Paul had an angel. For those sailing with us, all who believe, We will make it through. Sure, we'll run aground before we're through. We'll die. But our souls have been granted to our Savior. It'll be all right. Paul had faith in God. They had faith in their own understanding. Uh, How's that working out for you? (laughs) We need to tell them sometimes that God speaks clearly. Listen, 
when the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Fourteenth night. And let's see, how much have they accomplished? <laughs> but they do have a little knowledge, and they use it productively. The problem is, they seem to have thought it was enough. I mean, hey, they were the experts, right? But even then, they prayed for day. <laughs> and then some tried to take things into their own hands, and as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, goes on self-serving little twits. <laughs> They were ready to abandon their duty and everyone who was sailing with them. I think the Titanic, right? And as opposed to Paul, who was concerned for everyone on board. Remember what the angel said? They were all granted to him. He was asking for God to protect them. Even the sailors who were more than willing to let him drown. Paul cared when they didn't. So Paul takes practical action. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. Once again, it's not necessarily some word from God. They're the only ones who knew how to sail. <laughs> not all our knowledge is biblical knowledge. Sometimes God has taught us through life circumstances. It's all right to be confident of our abilities. God, after all, gave us those as well. But note that the centurion is beginning to trust Paul. Even if he reacts badly, it might have been nice to have that boat available when the dawn came. <sighs> Sometimes our best intentions are flawed, maybe even cause more trouble. And let's remember when someone else does that sort of thing, that we too are fallible. And let's continue to encourage. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Stress and how to live with it. When you're under a lot of stress, pay attention to the basics of life. Eat properly. Exercise regularly. Brush your teeth. Give thanks. Come on, you're alive and not a hair of your head will perish. Okay, a quick look around uh, the room proves that this is obviously a spiritual message. <clears throat> but we do know where we're going here. You have eternal life if you have trusted in Jesus. Paul lived out his faith before them. Let's live our faith out in front of those around us, especially when the circumstances are tough. Did you catch that they hadn't listened earlier? He'd already told them to eat before. Did they listen? No. But this time, sometimes it takes a few times. That's all right. God will get them there. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. 276. Why mention that now? 
I think he's trying to say 276 out of 276. We're listening now. <laughs> We've often noted that people don't seem to listen until some sort of crisis comes into their lives. The bigger the crisis, the more open their minds. It sure would be easier if we'd all listen without that, wouldn't it? <laughs> now, at last, they appear to finally believe Paul. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. The food they have saved to stay alive, they finally jettison. They must trust Paul, right? Or have they given up? Or worse yet, do they still think they can save this ship? Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned it possible to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing all you can in your power to work out God's plan. They even let the anchors, no inexpensive item, go. Maybe, maybe they're getting it. But striking a reef. They ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable and the stern was being broken up by the surf. This is a most curious part of this story. Why did God put the reef there? Well, maybe because you've had reefs in your life as well. Life has been terrible. And then you finally see the light at the end of the tunnel and... It turns out to be a train. <laughs> Why do bad things happen when we've already had a huge share of misery? And it doesn't even stop there. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. Great, it's gone from bad to worse. Their plan was to kill the prisoners. They'd talk this out ahead of time. If a prisoner escapes, we get killed for it. So, if the ship does go aground, like the guy said, let's just kill him and all the others and pretend they drowned in the sea. <laughs> well, self-preservation, selfishness. We see it all the time. People taking care of number one before any and all else. We can tell them a thousand times, life is better if you give yourself away. But they don't listen. They don't believe. They don't believe God really does have their back because they don't believe there is a God who cares about them. Oh, maybe there's a God and maybe he cares about some people, but if I'm going to be okay, it's because I make sure I'm okay. You'd think they'd eventually get it. <laughs> their plans seem almost never to work. So why do they think those plans are such a great idea? Not sure. But here, once again, things don't go like they want. But the centurion wishing to save Paul kept them from carrying out their plan. Why did he want to save Paul? We could say he was also into self-preservation. Purposefully killing a citizen not proved guilty also resulted in the death penalty for soldiers. But that seems unlikely. Remember, he'd already let Paul wander off into town to visit the Christians there. And why not save just Paul? Nobody would find out about the others, what with all the soldiers in on the deal. I think it's because he believed Paul. He had come to trust him. Luke had gone to the trouble of giving his name, Julius, and his division, the Augustine cohort. Why? 
usually Luke just gave their titles. Well, it could be because his original audience knew Julius, or at least knew of him. But if he did believe and became a Christian, then you wouldn't normally want to put that into writing. What with the situation when Luke wrote this history, they were executing Christians as enemies of the state and traitors. How quickly might a soldier, especially one further up in the ranks, be put to death? The point of all this, maybe the reef was there to bring Julius to a decision. When the soldiers moved to kill Paul, Julius suddenly realized he believed the man, no matter the cost. I think the reason God allows so much tragedy in life is because there's a problem with us. <laughs> we, human beings, don't seem to listen when things are all hunky-dory. It's only when our lives are turned on our heads that we seem willing to listen. God is forced, if you will, to drive us towards repentance with calamity. Well, in any event, it works here, and Julius is hesitant no longer. He takes charge and gets things done. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. So did you notice what Paul had to do? <laughs> That's right, nothing. <laughs> Paul's total involvement was encouragement and living his faith out in front of them. He didn't have to do anything to make things right. He left it all up to God. And who is it that knows best? Who is it who has the power to do what we need? Who is it who loves us better than we love ourselves? Who is it who was wounded for our transgressions? Who was crushed for our iniquities? Upon whom was the chastisement that brought us peace? It's true. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. On him. On Jesus Christ. He conquered death and sin. Our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel, the good news. And what is that good news for believers? And so it was that all were brought safely to land. I told you this whole story is about life, a metaphor for life, and not just this life. We read it last week. Paul closed the very last letter he ever wrote with this very thought. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Eternal life. That's the land to which we will safely be brought. Caught in a storm because of the foolishness of others? It's okay. Do you have to jettison cargo because of the storms of life? You'll be fine. Having a hard time just living life, what with the storms of life pressing in so terribly, is all right. Is your life threatened by those self-serving people who just won't listen? It won't last. The Lord will rescue you from every evil deed. He will bring you safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him 
be the glory forever and ever. Father, thank you that you sent your Son. and He will guide us through the storms of this life. And even if we have to swim for it, we'll get there. We'll end up in eternal life with you. And it will indeed be glorious to see you, to see your Son, to be living the perfect life. Thank you, Father, so much. Help us as we live this life to live it in such a way that people see in us something like what they saw in Paul, something about faith, something about reality. They'll somehow understand that we trust you and that they too can trust you to take care of them. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to worship with us, maybe this next Sunday. You can also join us online at southbeachhope.org. We'd appreciate your financial support if that is possible. We are a tiny church in a small town, but at least, with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and everyone around the world. Hopefully, we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture.